and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch, Barack Wilbur. How is everybody doing this week? It is Halloween time. Ah, we made it. We made it to Halloween. Uh, we extended spooky season all the way into mid-September this year, because why not? Everyone's at home just watching horror movies anyway. Why not get started before October? And now we are at the end. And after after this weekend, we'll go back to watching horror movies. I, I do it all year round. It doesn't stop. But uh, it's extra special in October. And here we are. My Halloween plans uh, include having over my friends Adrian and Emmy. Adrian writes for us sometimes in our film department. Uh, Emmy is a vet. And uh, every year since I've moved to Kansas City, we have sat down and had a Halloween marathon. Normally, we have to take breaks throughout uh, because no one wants to miss any part of the movie, but somebody has to jump up every time the doorbell rings to go see the kids and hand out the candy. And that's just not how it's playing out this year. My wife was like, hey, we don't want to do the thing where we have a big bowl of candy and everybody's kids put their hand in there. And Because if you've ever done trick-or-treating, you know that kids touch absolutely every piece of candy every time they pull everything out and they're like ah not this one they're not they, i'll go with this uh which this is just not the year for people to be touching surfaces that that often especially if it's food so what we've done is we bought a six five black christmas tree just black all over we're putting it in the front yard and we are hanging plastic bags from it that have pre-wrapped little sets of candy. She even went out of her way to mark ones that had nuts in them so that children with nut allergies wouldn't take those bags, which I was like, that's already the tree idea so that no one cross-contaminates is cool enough, but the fact that you went out of your way to protect kids with nut allergies, a demographic I wouldn't often think of. She's a good, caring person, and I appreciate that about her. Um... It will be such an interesting Halloween. I've not lived in this location where we live now, and it's on a little like side jetty street uh, that isn't particularly accessible. So I don't know if we bought a giant black Christmas tree <laughs> for no one. It is entirely possible that we put it out, dangle candy from it, and two trick-or-treaters come by. Or we're going to be flooded with people because we're just off a major street. So like... somewhere between the two would be nice, but I'm sure it'll be one of the two extremes, uh, and I really hope that I do not wind up with a hundred bags of candy that I have to eat myself. My diabetes will kill me. Um, This is a fun episode this week. We have a lot going on. We have a writer, director, creative type actress, uh, Brea Grant, uh, an interview that we did earlier in the month talking about ostensibly her movie, 12 hour shift, but also a bunch of other movies. She's just doing everything. uh, So that's a good time. We also have uh, Nick's music corner. How could we forget Nick's Music Corner? Nick's Music Corner is always so fun. This week's is absolutely a treat. Uh, But first up, we have a reading uh, from our friend Jason at Stolen Dress Entertainment of an article from our last magazine. Uh, This is from uh, Joseph Hernandez, and it is about the pivot that was made by the 18th Street Fashion Show this year uh, from a traditional fashion show into turning fashion into a movie that played... uh, at a drive-in movie theater. So uh, here is that right now. Fashion, turn to the left. West 18th Street fashion show pivots from runway to silver screen. Words by Joseph Hernandez, photos by Jeff Everard. When COVID-19 hit the country in mid-March, it put everything in the future on hold. 
Concerts, clubs, sports, museums, and just life in general shut down as we found easy ways to combat the virus and stay safe. Events racked up cancellation or postponement announcements. People wondered, what's next, as they couldn't continue with their daily activities, jobs, or passion projects. Some, like Peregrine Honig, dipped into their bag of tricks to keep the ball rolling. Honig is in charge of the West 18th Street Fashion Show. As the creative director, she navigates the narrative of the show's history and future, interlacing fashion and fine art. Originally from San Francisco, she's been with the show since its inception in 2000. She and her team planned 2020's show a week after the conclusion of 2019's show with Bauhaus as the theme, which translates to Construction House. Originating in 20th century Germany, the regime denounced Bauhaus artists for their degenerate art and later destroyed everything. Hosting this year's edition was going to follow the format of previous years. It would feature a 100-foot runway constructed on a one-way city street created to platform regional conceptual garment makers. Models of all backgrounds, races, ethnicities, genders, shapes, and sizes would strut their stuff in beautiful clothing created in the designer's image. The music playing in the background by artists contracted to play a role would fit the mood. Being there felt like a movie. And then the pandemic forced a change of plans. The show, scheduled for June 13th, would no longer take place. The team committed to finding a way to put on a show that would leave a lasting impression while following social distancing guidelines. They'd have to do something out of the box to bring a unique flavor for fashion to Kansas City. So they made a movie. Honig went from creative director to screenwriter. Emmy Award-winning cinematographer Jeremy Osborne agreed to be the director of photography right before production. Kitam Jabbar became the movie's director, sculpting the vision Honig had in mind. Calvin Arsenia added the main character role to go along with his duties as a music supervisor. The long runway transformed into an endless catwalk fit for the big screen. Bauhaus is still the theme. It fits with modern times and the film's title, Summer in Hindsight. Knowing what people know now about Bauhaus and how to approach topics such as pandemic and numerous cultural revolutions, a lot of things would be handled differently. Filmed in 19 of Kansas City's most famous venues in 10 days, Summer in Hindsight takes viewers on a journey with Arsenia as he goes through the experiences that they've all faced and how everything from grocery shopping to visiting families takes on new levels of weight and anxiety in the wake of COVID-19, as said by Osborne. It is a film that is designed to showcase the work of 11 creators and, in a way, acknowledges the current state that we're living in, both with the racial revolution that we are watching and participating in as well as living in a pandemic. Arsenia says. We're trying to bring beauty in spite of the era and beauty in spite of the pain and beauty in spite of this feeling of isolation and coming together in spite of social distance. Creating the magic. Making a movie is hard enough, but doing it during a pandemic takes it to extreme difficulty. Each venue had guidelines to follow. Masks had to be on at all times. Everyone on set made sure to keep each other in check with constant reminders to wash their hands. If one person got sick, then everyone was probably also going to get sick. And that means this film might not have moved past the first day of shooting, much less completion. Shooting might be slow and there is a smaller crew, but safety became the priority. Osborne says that he turned down several jobs because he didn't feel safe in those environments. We had a really high-quality air filter company step forward and donate money to us, and they also donated filters, Honig says. Every room where we had a green room, there was an air filter, so when people are sitting and actively eating, that room is also filtered. I'm not bragging, but it's like, damn, we are really pulling this off? Photographer Jeff Everard spoke more about the working conditions during the film. 
He says that there was a lot of effort in trying to be there and be in every situation while maintaining social distancing. The protocols made by the different locations also made this a unique time to shoot, as it's been quite a bit since the last pandemic. He couldn't always talk through the mask to get what he wanted, making his role difficult. Everyone on the same page makes shooting great, as different groups of people were together in pods to shoot based on the venue they were at. He mentioned that he hadn't had as many handlers on his work, which boosted his patience. You have this kind of gravity that this is going to be important down the road, Everard says. Besides just photographing models and designers, it just felt like we were all kind of doing something special. The air filters and patients help, but this creation wasn't possible without everyone's involvement. Producers, directors, cinematographers, designers, models, musicians, and photographers were all in on bringing this to reality. Celeste Lupercio, the executive producer, notes that it was a quick turnaround to finish the film and that it was awesome to have the crew they had to help them out. The designers are the only part of the crew that benefited from the pandemic. Their deadline for creating the clothing expanded from three to eight months, giving them plenty of time to craft it in their image while keeping the Bauhaus theme. In a perfect world, there would be no bumps in the road. But there's always a problem, and it always comes at the worst time, as designer Van Shawn can attest to. Hailing from New Orleans, not only did he have to overcome traveling during a pandemic, but also Hurricane Laura, funding, medical conditions, and pushing himself to the finish line. Despite the challenges he encountered, everything fell right into place. Once you get over those challenging moments or those challenging times, you definitely see the promise on the other side, Sean says. It's just getting over it or getting beyond, getting past, getting through that particularly difficult time. One of his challenges, as he completed the looks, was solved thanks to a friend who purchased the shoes for the models, followed by a donation from his family. It led to an idea to add hair pieces and headdresses to bring the authenticity of New Orleans culture to Kansas City. He also drew inspiration from Mardi Gras Indian culture, which is in his bloodline. Sean also mentioned how the music goes hand-in-hand -hand with what's on screen. It facilitates and narrates the film, and it wouldn't be this way without Arsenia's input. Arsenia asked each designer for the sounds and music that inspires them whether it's modern or something they grew up with. His goal was to create original music reflecting their collections and their musical influences. The designers have provided me with music that inspires their creative process, ranging from Red Hot Chili Peppers to Marvin Gaye to Einsterzende Neubauten and the Dirty Projectors, Arsenia says. The scope of the soundtrack is incredibly daunting, but I think I like it like that. Arsenia may like it like that, but he's also fucking scared at the task of completing a complex soundtrack. He's performed in thousands of shows in front of audiences, been on dozens of recordings, and written dozens of songs, but hasn't scored a film. He and collaborator Mike Dillon have their hands full. Strike a Pose For many of the models, this is their first time being in a film. Preparing for the runway is a beast in itself, but filming brings a new set of challenges. Gone are the days of backstages filled with models that are stressing out due to the pressure of walking in front of hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. It's replaced with connecting with the audience and catching their attention by presenting themselves as larger than life. After all, they are on the big screen. Summer in Hindsight marks the acting debut for Arsenia. He called it an emotional roller coaster, as it was exciting and fresh because it had been so long since he was around a group of people. Being on camera for nine consecutive days drained his energy, and he now understands why actors want a trailer on set. Arsenia isn't the only one making his big screen debut, as models Robin Rubash, Vincent Sung, and Jesse Green all appear with him at various points throughout the film. Rubash got into modeling thanks to a friend's recommendation. The ball kept rolling and Rubash's appearances kept growing, and it eventually led to connecting with Honig. 
The two always wanted to do something together, and last year's show marked the first time they did. Coming back for 2020, what they had planned for her wasn't what she had in mind. The same can't be said for Vincent Sung. A University of Missouri-Columbia graduate, he's a regular for Honig, as he's modeled for Honig's store Birdies and has been a part of the show for years. However, his portion of the film also wasn't what he expected when he signed up to participate. Green works at Birdies and also walked the runway in 2019 for the show. She was more than happy to help Honig, as she offered her assistance to model for anything if an extra was needed. Green says that being on set was fun, new, and interesting, since her shot involved her doing something her mom didn't want her to do as a child. The West 18th Street fashion isn't the only thing the three models share. They all represent communities that aren't on the big screen as much as they should be. Rubash, a trans woman, Sung, an Asian man, and Green, a black woman, all recognize that people like them don't get to shine in front of an audience as much as others. They all shared the same sentiment in that they hope to inspire people like them and show them that they can do this. I just want to be able to tell other girls that are transitioning that you can do it. If they want to be a model, they can be a model, Rubash says. I think it's important to be seen in general in my trans body because when I was growing up, I didn't see any of that. Trans women were non-existent to me, so it's nice to be able to just exist to be someone else's inspiration. It feels really good, not only because of my ethnicity, but because I was the only male model in Honig's collection, which is women's lingerie, Sung says. For me, as a male model to represent her brand, it was an honor. It's a very big thing to see brown and black people in these films because it does uplift people. I know when I was a kid, I did not see myself, and I felt some type of way, and to be an adult, I have to make it a point to put myself out there so that other kids can see themselves in me, Green says. I hope that some young person sees me and is like, I can do that too. The diversity is what makes the show stand out. People deserve to see themselves do incredible things. Society's standards on what's hot and what's not can only hold up for so long until people get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. An authentic face on the runway, or film for that matter, could inspire another model to accomplish the next big thing. Hindsight is 2020, and the West 18th Street fashion show film is hoping to give us all a fresh look at exactly that. And now, once again, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Nick's Music Corner. We never found a better name for it, and now we're stuck with it. Nick's Music Corner. <laughs> Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. For the six months I've been doing recs for this podcast, I've tried to present music with a wide range of appeal and doesn't necessarily fall into any genre which might be described as extreme. That said, it's Halloween, so I'm going with something that's dark, abrasive, and possibly terrifying. Wormwood was originally from Lawrence, but relocated to Seattle in the early 2000s. Though they've been split up since 2008, the band's music still stands the test of time, falling somewhere in the middle ground between Doom and Sludge. Their debut 7-inch, released in 1997 on Arm Records, featured the song Circus as its A-side. It's a dirge-like anthem that begins with a twisted organ intro, and that organ winds its way through the entirety of the song, anchored by a distorted low end. The lyrics reference rats among us fattening themselves, which is as apt a metaphor as you could ask for this Halloween season. Wormwood's Brandon Fitzsimons, the man behind that terrifying organ work, is now part of Black Queen, who released their most recent album, The Destructive Cycle, via Roman numeral last year. Here's Wormwood with Circus.
And now, a word from our sponsor. Yes, we have sponsors now. It finally happened. Kicking it in. Have you been looking for something to do? We have a suggestion for you. Yoga. Whether it's your first time or you are a seasoned practitioner, In Bliss Yoga is for you. In Bliss Yoga is more than a place to work out. It's a place to connect with yourself. Find the power that lies deep within you and bring that power out in your everyday life. In Bliss believes that yoga is for every body. Do you see what they did there? Do you see what they did? Every body. And it's separated by an ellipsis, so you understand it's inclusive. It's everyone. My wife, a few years ago, noticed my anger issues and uh, got me started in yoga at a yoga studio she worked at. Um, it was just a relaxation class, nothing too heavy, where I was just supposed to keep my eyes closed and have a nice normal time. At the start of it, uh, somebody introduced themselves as uh, the resident Reiki master. And I said, you know, hello. I did not understand what a Reiki master is. And if you uh, are unaware... It is a person that basically puts their hands over your body and through the power of belief and uh, yoga magic, uses energy to make you feel better. I, um, I'm past the point in my life where I'm too much of a skeptic about things. I'm willing to try anything that makes me feel better. But uh, my eyes were closed and we were in the dark and I did not understand what that was because no one had to find it for me. Uh, so all of a sudden with my eyes closed, I felt somebody's hands running through my beard, and I, out of instinct, just punched. I just <laughs> went for a punch and uh, punched a Reiki master uh, right in the face, just a normal person that was trying to help me. Uh, and they were calm and zen enough, which is now my belief in why Reiki works, that they got punched in the face and were just chill with it and went back to whatever. Um, didn't say anything afterwards, didn't uh, make a fuss, uh, smiled and nodded on my way out, and I was like, uh, you know what, I do have anger issues, but today... I got to punch someone and no one complained about it. And uh, you know what? That's the chillest I've felt in a long time. Do not do that at InBliss. They have paid for advertising. They're good people. You're allowed just one of these if you don't know what a Reiki master is. But not here because I've explained it to you. Now it's not a surprise. This is actually a PSA to protect people in the yoga world. InBliss has everything from slower classes like chair yoga, restorative and fundamentals to the more fast-paced Ashtanga and the powerful Vinyasa. Get that flow. Come and find your bliss. Easily located just north of the river off I-29 North Highway and the Northwest Wamkamas Drive. I, I'm new. I, Wamkamas? That's definitely the reading, right? Uh, if not, we'll have it fixed by next time. Choose your bliss by relaxing and rejuvenating as you discover your true self or challenge your balance and breath as you build the fire within. Everybody wants a fire within. This is the place to get it, is In Bliss Yoga. Get more information on their website, inblissyogakc.com, or send them a message on Facebook at In Bliss Yoga. In Bliss Yoga sees your safety as priority and is following the CDC guidelines requiring masks while in the studio. Good call. Good call right there. Get started today with an amazing introductory offer of 10 classes for 30 bucks. That's a $160 value. Be peaceful, healthy, and truly happy. See, that all... That all checks boxes for me. I feel good about that. On to the interview today. Uh, we have Brea Grant, uh, who is writer, director, visionary, author. Uh, she, uh, I first experienced her work when she was an actress on Dexter. Uh, since then, she has had graphic novels. Uh, she has had movies that she's directed, movies she's written, movies she's written and directed and produced. Uh, and she's got basically four different films floating around the uh, the indie film world right now at, at various festivals. Um, 
one of which is called 12 Hour Shift, which is basically if Quentin Tarantino did Drop Get Dead Gorgeous, it's all set in a hospital and it's sort of bloody, but also filled with wacky characters. I don't know. It's it's a wild time. And that's the one that we were mainly focused on today. But also she has a Kansas City connection now because uh, she is the co-star of Jill horror film that was written, shot, produced here in Kansas City, featuring hundreds of Kansas City people as extras, so you're almost guaranteed to see somebody that you know in it. Uh, And for that, uh, she had to spend uh, a couple of weeks here in town uh, and uh, sort of became a Casey regular. Uh, She also comes back all the time for things like the Panic Film Festival. It's it's just great to have... We've adopted her. We've adopted her as a Kansas Cityan and uh, so proud of her and the fact that she's starring in what is ostensibly our our biggest movie of the year that the rest of the world will see uh, via the stylus. So here is that interview. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, the internet... There are times I really hate the internet, but then times like these, I really very much enjoy it. I'm not even on Twitter anymore, but I'm kind of like, well, I kind of want to go on there just to see the jokes that are being made right now. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's it's such a wonderful mix of of real bleak stuff, real joyous stuff, and then just the uh, absolute fucking joy kills tis- tisking everybody. And I'm like, guys, I'm sorry. But, like, yeah. if 2020 owes us one fucking thing, I swear to God. Yeah. <laughs> just gotta... You know, and, and I don't think we should – no one's – come on. Like, I think we're allowed to have a little bit of joy here. This is uh, – like, this is the person who has basically downplayed all this, killed hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> I mean – It is like, his fault. Like, he deserves to – like, I, I, I've said from the start, like, I don't want him to die. I don't want to, like, put no. ghoul energy into the world. But – I do want him to have like fucking terrible diarrhea for 14 days. I think he's earned at least that much. Like that feels like he's, he doesn't seem like a guy who's ever experienced an ounce of like discomfort in his life. And I would just like him to have like trouble breathing for a month. Like it's, it's the least I can ask for. Yeah. But I don't even know. I bet he does have trouble breathing every day. Now I'm getting on a tangent. So it's like, what do you even notice that is different? Cause he seems so unhealthy. Like when you live like that, you must constantly be in pain. I don't know. I, right. I think he, yeah, yeah. I all I all I want to say is that COVID's done us real wrong, but like right now, it's feeling like it took an American patriot turn. If you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, COVID, welcome to the resistance. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so uh, right off the bat here, I want to say uh, congratulations on the movie, and then I need to specify which movie because I watched Twelve Hour Shift and Stylus back to back yesterday. So I just. Like, really, like, directed, you were directing to my veins all day. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Well, you know, I, there's a third one floating out there, too, and so I never know what people are going to say. So that's, that's good. I like the styles a lot. I, I, I wanted to know, yeah, how often somebody's like, hey, your movie's great, and you're like, you got to be more specific. I'm very prolific right now. <laughs> this is, I mean, I, yeah, and I feel like kind of an asshole asking for corrections, but um, Kayla, uh, my publicist, um, texting me was like, hey, you just won Best Screenplay at Fantasia. And I was like, for which, which movie? I have I wrote two movies at Fantasia. <laughs> um, but, yeah. You know, what a nice problem to have, to be like, I need you to be more specific about my award. Yeah, maybe in a different year it would be better. But overall, yes, good problem to have. 
I, uh, and this, this will be a forever gift uh, that, that I get to have from you is that um, I got the news about Trump testing positive and went to Twitter to start making a maybe he should drink bleach joke just as in uh, 12 hour shift a character died from drinking bleach. And I was like, okay, so sometimes it all syncs up like uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, and The Wizard of Oz. Like it's yeah, 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 yeah. the darkest fucking 2020 <laughs> version of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who knew when we were making this movie, it was going to have, you know, nurses and bleach would be on everyone's minds. Uh, so why Arkansas in 1999? <laughs> well, the movie is originally set in East Texas, which is where I'm from. And I am a child of the 90s. And for me, subjectively, (laughs) it made sense to set something in my hometown in the 90s where I grew up. For me, East Texas exists in the 90s in a lot of ways. I still go home. It obviously doesn't. but, But it just made the most sense. And I wanted to write something that I knew a lot about. Um, and then when we went to production, my producers are from Arkansas, um, and they found this amazing location, and the Arkansas Film Commission was really, really nice to us, and um, they have a great tax incentive for any independent filmmakers looking for a good tax incentive, um, so we decided to shoot it there. It worked out really well, because finding a hospital on this budget is, is an insane ask, and, and we were able to do it. I, I got into the movie and I was going in blind uh, and then all of a sudden I was shouting, oh, hey, it's my friend Tara. Oh, and my God. Then, and then Brooke and Tom also popped up and I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then I saw at the end that Tara was the producer and I was like, oh, all of it's coming together now. This is yeah. yeah, but I know Brooke separately because Brooke acted in a series that I wrote called uh, The Real Housewives of Horror that was on the Nerdist channel when they had a YouTube channel. Yeah. And um, uh, so Tara and her husband, Jordan Long, and Matt Glass are a part of a producing company, a uh, production company called HCT Media. And they liked the script. And uh, when we were casting, we had a lot of friend crossover. So <laughs> it made I, sense. I know call. Brooke and Tom from a 30-minute musicals. And oh, like, yeah. I was like, and, Tara's done like podcasts with me before. I was just like, amazing, so everyone's amazing. here, and and I was like, oh, and good on her for producing the shit out of this. I was like, now I understand Arkansas kind of like that track. Yeah, uh, yes, and Tommy I, Hobson is part of that that crew too. Tommy Hobson, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I there was something I, I found really delightful about the. I, I'm I'm so often surprised that people don't set more things in late 1999 because I spent like not only some of the pop culture references you work in, uh, but like the real fear around Y2K always seems like such a good permeated, like that's, that's equally interesting as setting something around like the backdrop of the cold war or something like there is such a paranoia about that thing. And I found it really interesting that that was a, that was a fun surprise to just sort of have in the background here. <laughs> uh, totally. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? Uh, 36. 36. Yeah. Okay. So you're like the right age like me where I was, very scared of Y2K, weren't you? I thought the world was... Oh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It, it has such a wonderful parallel to now because that was like the one that I feel like for our generation set up being told like it's actually going to be doomsday and like people worked really fucking hard and then we avoided yes. it. And so like right now with the COVID thing, it feels like a lot of us from that generation are like, 
we've heard this doomsday thing before and it all just yeah. went away and was nothing, but it's like, no, a lot of people worked really hard to make it not happen. And if no one's working really hard to make it not happen, it'll fucking happen. Uh, so like, I, yeah, I wound up going on a, like a spiral about that in my head through part of the movie instead. Yeah. It also, at this point, I mean, because the movie, I, I make a lot of references to various urban legends in the movie. Um, and uh, some are Easter eggs and some are, sort of just the kidney that, you know, the urban legend of the kidney from the 90s. But Y2K almost feels like an urban legend to me if you would explain it to a teenager now where, you know, I you say, I thought the world was going to end. I thought all computers were going to shut down everywhere. And I just think it, it sounds so outlandish now that, it, that we thought that it was going to happen. And, and I, I, I mean... And maybe it was, I mean, I guess it was going to happen and they fixed it. I was pretty, I was young and had no idea, but it was a true fear for me. I was very scared of Y2K. So, so what, uh, what caused you to set out to make uh, the Quentin Tarantino version of Drop Dead Gorgeous? <laughs> that, <laughs> oh my God, I want to write that down. Um, 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 well, thank you. Um, I like fun stuff. I like funny stuff. I love Tarantino. I love quick-paced, witty, unrealistic dialogue. <laughs> um, I like my movies heightened, and it made sense for me to try to make something along those lines. I made my first movie seven years ago, and... It had uh, quippy dialogue as well, but it, I tried to keep it really grounded and realistic. And just where I'm at right now is I kind of watch more things and um, like more things that are just bigger and broader and take me out of my everyday life. <laughs> it's kind of all I want for 2020. Um, so, so yeah, the style is, is definitely pulling from Tarantino and all of these kind of bigger, broader uh, uh, people making huge swings, the Cullen brothers, stuff like that. But um, I love the Drop Dead Gorgeous reference because I I love the South and I love trashy South and I love <laughs> trashy women because I am one and I grew up with them and I respect them and I think they're amazing. And I would like to see more, like, cool, bizarre women on screen. It it is it is so fun because it is it is this whole cast of side characters, including like I it took me no, till nearly the end of the movie to recognize Tom and that's somebody that I've known for like a decade. I was like, Holy shit, that is indeed Tom because like <laughs> you just you cranked his dial all the way to eleven. Um there is something that I, I found very like wonderful about it that it feels like you wrote like a fanfic Harley Quinn movie, like to balance out like to, to be the opposite to uh, the reimagining of the Joker that we just had. It's like, what if we made it a time period piece and made it a bit grittier, but she's still like a nurse who's kind of dumb and keeps murdering people and no one seems to be able to stop her. Like she has a really Harley Quinn energy. And I was like, you know what? They, they could have, they could have just changed the name and probably sold it for a lot more money. It could be a prequel to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it really felt that way. <laughs> it's a Harley Quinn origin story. Yeah, I would buy it, and I think Chloe should be cast as that. I think she has a real um, uh, manic energy on screen, but she doesn't have in real life. She's a very calm, collected person who is 
very mature and normal. But uh, on screen, she just has that. Uh, she can really go places. I do like I do like reassuring the interviewer. Like I promise, she's normal. Like that. <laughs> uh, you know what? Well, because I had to reassure myself when we cast her. I just saw her tape, and we had a lot of trouble with that role because it's such a broad, weird, dark role, and everyone kept coming in playing it really dark, which was the way it was written. And I thought that's the way it was going to be. And then Chloe came in with this take where she kind of played it with a lot of conviction and as if she believed everything she was saying and with a lot of innocence as well. And and I was like, let's hire her, but we have to meet her first to make sure she's not a true sociopath. <laughs> because she could be. And her tape was so good. And when you're watching a tape, you're not in the room with them, so you have no idea what they're like in real life. And um she was nice. She's such a lovely woman. <laughs> I, I like the idea that you have here that perhaps in the future uh, actors should send in tape and then like two minutes of tape of them just being who they are. Like, hi, yeah. this is actually how I found an act. Uh, yeah, yeah, just like riding a bicycle down the street, you know, <laughs> buying groceries, paying their bills on time, things that like make me respect them. <laughs> so uh, what, was, uh, what was the most difficult shot for you to get in the movie? So we were watching it last night at the drive-in, and I, my DP was in the car next to me, and I was texting him the whole time. And um, one shot came up, and I texted him, and I said, this was the worst day of the shoot and the most difficult shot of the movie. But it's not one that people would probably even recognize as being that difficult. It's a long shot. Um, it's a long dolly shot uh, in which we're following Mandy down – down the hallway and um, she walks into the nurse's station and there's just a lot of things happening at the same time. And <laughs> it was just one of those days where we could not get it right. And, um, you know, we had a very small crew and we didn't even have a real dolly. My producers made a dolly-like contraption from things that we bought at Home Depot. Um, <laughs> so stuff like that was hard. I mean, the movie has a lot of movement in it and, um, it was a lot of improvised movement that was far more difficult than would be on a larger movie. Um, but I'm really proud of all of the, the stuff we were actually able to put into it. What, what, is, uh, what is your preference right now? Would you rather be uh, directing or acting, or, or is this a blend of everything sort of uh, what keeps you going? <laughs> I mean – I like the blend because I get to work different muscles and um, there's really cool stuff out there that people are writing for women, um, women my age, which is exciting, like The Stylist um, or a movie I did last year called um, After Midnight. Um, I'm really proud of my work in both of those, but um, I am definitely moving towards directing I, uh, and writing. Um, I just being on that side of the camera and having the ability to create my own stuff from scratch has really, um, it just makes me much happier and it just fits with my personality a lot better. Um, I'm just kind of bossy and controlling and it's just better for me to be able to wear those on my sleeve. <laughs> um, are you, are you happy with how, uh, after midnight has been received? Um, how has it been received? I don't read reviews. So do okay. people like it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it is uh, it is hard beloved by most people that have seen it. 
and just not yeah. enough people have seen it. And it's one of those things that I, I feel like a, amongst a friend group, especially everyone that saw it at Panic Fest here in Kansas City, which I think you were here for last year. I, I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Miss, missed my chance to meet you then because it's very much a head down, run to the next screening sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I feel like everyone that shared that in the theater got to be like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. And now no one gets to watch things together anymore, and it feels like a very communal film. So I'm hoping that it gets a, a resurgence when people get to watch movies uh, in a room together again. Yeah. I mean, we it played um, Tribeca and Fantastic Fest, and I got to attend both of those. And I'd seen it a couple of times. I, I didn't want to watch the monologue again because – it just feels like a lot of me on screen. Ah. <laughs> and um, so what we would do is we would go and drink in the bar until um, the jump scare is about to happen. And then Jer- Jeremy, Christian, and I would sneak back in and watch everyone jump at the jump scare. So that that was fun. And <laughs> and I, I love that movie. I love everything about that movie. It's the exact kind of movie I want to watch and be a part of. I don't think I could ever make something like that. So it's also just exciting to... Yeah, to be a part of something that's so artistic. Those guys just take huge swings, and it's uh, it's a real honor to get to work with them. Um, yeah, speaking of you uh, and Kansas City, uh, since we are a Kansas City-based publication, uh, you are in, as aforementioned, The Stylist, uh, which is mm-hmm. uh, certainly our big movie for the year. So uh, you're basically uh, grandfathered in as, as a Kansas City and now. Uh, okay. <laughs> what was it like to work with uh, with Jill on that? Uh, and and what are what are your hopes and dreams for that release? <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I love Kansas City. First of all, um, <laughs> I spent about a month there, and it snowed. I never get to see snow, so that alone felt like a treat. And I was staying really close to your art museum, and so on my days off, I would go wander around the art museum and listen to music. And it was you have such a cool art museum. Anyway, um, I. I had a really great time working with Jill. I've known Jill for a few years. I think she's a real talent. She got a really great, cool team together for that one. I think Najara is is a is a real star. Um, and yeah, I'm super happy about it. I hope people get to see it. It's a cool, weird little movie with um, you know roles that you don't really get to see women playing that kind of center around. Uh, anxiety, where anxiety meets a sociopath, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it was super fun. I love shooting outside of LA because people are so friendly and nice and excited to actually, you know, have a movie movie there. And um, we, we shot a uh, twelve-hour shift in Arkansas, and just um, having. Having this for the town is really nice. It's not something you get in Los Angeles. No, it it is not. It is the inverse of that in LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Finally, how would you describe the soundtrack of this movie? Oh, uh... <laughs> back, back to twelve hour because I, I spent yeah. the whole time being like, I want to. I love this so much. I don't know if I could describe the genre to anyone. I was like, at first it's like jazz, and then there was like Gregorian chanting, and I was like, okay, there's a lot happening. <laughs> a lot happening. Um, The soundtrack took us a long time. Um, So Matt Glass, who is my cinematographer and my producer, is also my composer. 
that's how small this movie is. Um, and <laughs> we went, he, but he is a composer by trade. And um, we, we went through a lot of different stages for the soundtrack of this. And um, what we ended up landing on, I would say, is Birdman meets us meets an opera <laughs> meets some sense. I don't know. Um, um, I, I would say like the ones we were listening to a lot were us and um, Birdman and Ravenous and, uh, and, and just weirder, more bizarre soundtracks um, to kind of get into the space to create something really, really different. Ravenous absolutely tracks. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, okay. I took up enough of your time. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your day. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for chatting with me. And that's been the Streetwise podcast. I've been Brock Wilbur, your host and the editor of The Pitch. Please check out all our excellent work at thepitchkc.com. Uh, our best of 2020 magazine is hitting the stands tomorrow. Uh, so start looking for that around the city. Uh, we've had a really fun week here at The Pitch doing best of celebrations normally we'd have a big gala event uh this year it's over zoom and uh it was fun it was a blast we had a good time you you do what you can life has given us lemons and we make zoom lemonade from a social distance it's fine uh (laughs) at least we still had something at least people were there and it feels as close to normal as we'll have for a while uh thank you all for listening uh if you ever have a few bucks and you feel like chipping in to help out local journalism we could of course use the help (laughs) Never going to be not honest with you on that one. Boy, oh boy, it would be nice uh, if you helped us uh, keep the uh, lights on as a sustaining effort. We would appreciate it. Pitch in, and we'll make it through. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.